0: Welcome to Learnings from the Middle, a podcast where a product owner and a software engineer, longtime friends, occasional co-workers, and occasional halo opponents delve into their experiences and careers in the tech industry. All opinions are our own and not our employers or anyone else's. And I'm one half of the podcast, Brian, the software engineer half, been an engineer for roughly a decade. John, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, I'm John Curtinson. I am on the product side of that. I've been in different kind of product and uh, delivery, software uh, development lifecycle delivery roles for the good part of the last decade.
0: Awesome. And tonight we're going to be talking about job transitions. So we want to cover the scope of uh, when you would be willing to start having conversations about a new opportunity all the way through to when you know, that you would accept a job and make the final final decision to change jobs uh so i think this is a point that we have both realized we're very different on in maybe even the last couple of months so mm-hmm. when are you willing to talk to a recruiter or someone who's looking to hire or is trying to fill a role like when when are you willing to even talk to people yeah. about possibilities
1: And I think it's one we've been more different on previously and one that maybe we're growing closer together as we get into different stages of our career. So up till I would say the last last maybe even just a year to two years. So even fresh in my in my over my career, um, I'm usually not looking until I I know I'm most likely out the door. So if, and what I mean by that is usually I'm either like, Hey, I'm ready for something new. I just want to try a new industry, try something different take a new step. Like just myself personally, like I'm just looking for something different or from the negative, it just could be like, I, I I just need to look for something else to find a better environment, better culture, something like that. So it doesn't always have to be from that harsh of a negative, but I still normally up until recently, wouldn't have started looking until I had almost already made the decision that where I am at currently is not where I want to be three to six months from now
0: maybe, maybe this is background we should have gotten out up front, but can you list your roles or the roles that you've had quick or do you want me to?
1: Okay. So if we go through like start, if if we talk about like, you know, 10 years, 12 years now experience in software development and and software development management and now product ownership. So how did I get here? Manual QA, QA manager, project management, business analyst, product owner, delivery manager, product owner. Okay. Uh, Nope. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, product owner uh, back to a business analyst back to delivery manager back to product owner. <laughs> okay. So there's, there's four years that I, I kind of navigated around that middleman role um, yep.
0: from, from for product owner. But so how, how you, many, how many offers have you gotten? Like how many times have you changed just, jobs?
1: Some of those have been internal. So like they just would have been like natural. I wouldn't have been like, Hey, I'm leaving and upgrading. So if we're actually talking about like, I'm looking for something different, I'm interviewing, um, contractor position to full-time position. So that was when I went from project management to business analyst, um, business analyst to golly. Now I'm gonna have to go back and look, it's gonna like, I'm contradicting kind of myself, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> business analyst to kind of the delivery management role, um, was going from a big company to a small company. So that was an intentional move. So that was the second one within that company. It was a very intentional move to move up from delivery management into a product position. So that's three, even though I was within the same company, leaving that company to go back to business analyst for a bit, four, and then going back to intentionally looking back for a product owner position five. So I probably made the intentional decision of switching roles or companies five times.
0: Okay. So I have worked for, uh, and there was one company that was kind of the result of a merger. So I'm going to count that as one. So I've worked for four companies total over the course of my 10 years so i've only made four actual job changes but i've had i've only done the same role under the same title for maybe 18 to 24 months total at any of them so role changes a lot more
1: than the job i guess it's how do you define it but like conscious decisions to change jobs or roles is very different than like just internal kind of moves within the same company along doing along the same lines of things so
0: yeah So at the first company I worked at, I started off with the title development support analyst, which is a long title that tells you I was unimportant. And then I was a security analyst for a while. And then I was a senior security analyst. And then I jumped to the company that we worked at together. And Mm -hmm. there I was an IT systems engineer. Then I was a senior IT systems engineer. And then I was a cloud architect. And then I made another switch to uh, like a larger e-commerce company and was just a software development engineer, and then made another switch. And now I'm a senior software development, development engineer. So you made that mid
1: level to senior switch a couple times. And I know it probably has had different meanings at different points in your career. But that's just interesting worth noting of like, you kind of made that 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 entry in the door to senior leader role several times, which is
0: pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, it's it's fun. And it's it's made me value the title a little bit less, I guess. Because <laughs> you know, it kind of in it, when I was called you, a senior yeah. eight
1: years ago, was I really a senior? But, right. <laughs> but still, I mean, it still shows a level of competency and moving up within departments you're in. So kudos for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah so fun. I think you and I both say about four to five different companies with yep. maybe that same amount of like... Maybe one more, depending on like those internal moves of like Mm -hmm. intentionally trying to go a different direction within the same company. But those intentional moves to go from this job to this job, we've both been there. Sounds like we're that four to five times. Yep. Which is crazy. Four to five times in 12 years. Um, It definitely feels like like a lot of the culture of software development. Like I would have never, like until we said it out loud, I would have said, yeah, I change jobs every three to four years. Mm -hmm. And maybe I change companies every three to four years, but like my roles have changed a decent amount within some of those companies too.
0: So, yeah. And I, um, Th- this may be a generational thing. Cause how long did your dad work at the same company? My dad
1: worked at his company for over 30 years, I think over 35 years. Yeah.
0: So my dad, so. Uh, just because of his profession started work a little bit longer after graduating, but he's been in that like 20 to 30 year range as well. And yep. my aunts and uncles all do, you know, 20, 30 plus years at one place. And I just haven't. And maybe I will now, maybe I'll stick around at where I'm at for quite a bit longer, but just, I think generationally it's a different thing.
1: Trippy, we're getting old moment. Um, Can you believe that when we first met, when we were in first grade, our parents, our dads would have been probably junior in their careers. <laughs> they would have been probably oh, less than hilarious. five, maybe not junior or mid-level, but like your dad would have been new in his profession. And granted your dad's profession, you're still very much professional in your dad's field. Um, you know, five to six years. Um, but yep. my dad would have been probably in that same five to six years as well. Maybe a little bit more, Damn. but yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. That's unbelievable.
0: Were All our right. parents so- our age when they met, when we met? We don't, let's not go there. <laughs> <That'll> <laughs> let's not go down there. Uh,
1: okay. But back to job transitions, we've both been through yeah. a number of them. So, and I've kind of explained, like, usually when I'm going through a job transition, I'm either intentionally looking for something else, or there's something, some external factor, most likely negative, pushing me to say, I'm looking for a different
0: fit at the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. How about you? When do you start saying, let me talk to people?
0: So I will almost, all, I respond to almost every recruiter email I get. That's crazy. I think some people not, find that crazy. It probably is. But what I found was that they usually ignore you. And so nine out of 10 responses go completely unanswered. And it's almost comical where I can, I can take some screenshots on LinkedIn, where the conversation history is somebody cold emailing me, me replying like, hey, I'm not looking right now, but I'd love to connect. And then six months later, they cold email me again, the copy paste message. (laughs) And so I think that's why I'm comfortable with it. Because Nine times out of 10, it doesn't do anything. And then one time out of 10, you might chat with somebody or even just have like a quick conversation. And then, you know, even less of that, it turns into something.
1: So walk me through that, though. If your response is no, not now, like I can kind of understand why you might not get any traction with that. What about the ones that you say? Yeah, actually, I'm open to a conversation. Like how many of those actually then kind of hit you back and, and actually have a back and forth dialogue with you?
0: Those are much more. So my right. standard response when I'm pretty grounded and I don't think I want to make a change is, uh, you know, I'm always happy to hear about new opportunities, but I'm really well set up in my current role. It would take a lot in on these three aspects of a new job to get me interested. So I'm, I'm and that's pretty, what you would like, put in the no category. That's what you would have put in the right. no.
1: See, and to me, that's not a no. So that kind of surprises me. Like you're still saying, mm-hmm. like I'm willing to talk, and if you have the right offer, I'm, I'm not going to make an illogical sw- uh, right decision. That surprises and I think that so they don't get your response back.
0: And I, I think it's a game of numbers with recruiters where they see they that cool. in their head. Yep. And then to try and follow up and persuade me is going to be hard. And I'm already clearly not jumping at the bit. So I, I don't take it personally. I think it's just a game of numbers. Oh, not where at all. It's not a good investment on their end.
1: So knowing they treat you that way, why do you respond to each one? Like if you're just not <laughs> interested, why do you? Re- is, is it like I, I understand kind of the, the high level logic of, well, I'd ever want to close a door and I want to be polite. But I mean, is that really as deep as it goes? Or is there a reason why you feel the need to respond to each one?
0: no, so this this could get um a little bit religious or faith based but um mm-hmm. every time I get one of those messages, I assume there's and I know sometimes it's automated, but at least some of them are a real person who is trying very hard to get Do their job uh to get a foothold in the recruiting mm-hmm. industry, and it takes me ten to fifteen seconds to hammer out, "I'm really not looking, but if you want to chat, I'm open to it, and I think it's just it's worth it to me to be that kind of person who's polite and friendly when they don't need to be, and I'm not really going to gain anything from it, that it's the way I want to operate. And so to me, never that's put just... that much thought into it.
1: That's, but I, I get it. It makes sense. I, I don't mean yeah. that in a directory way. I just mean like, you know, for me, it's, I don't mean, I most likely don't mean more than a hill of beans to them outside of a number. Like why would I give them the, th- the 30 seconds of my time or to the minute of my mm-hmm. time? But to your point, it's it's 30 seconds to a minute just to quickly be a person. And I think it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. And you know, like so, most of them, oh, the last story I'll tell there is, um, you know, there was one kid who reached out and uh, messed up my name <laughs> and oh was boy. just mortified when she realized. And, uh, you know, it was just a very human moment to be like, mm-hmm. and what, what she did was flip the A and the I. So she called me brain instead of Brian. And I was able to tell, <laughs> you know, joke like, Hey, I take it as a compliment. Uh-huh. And then that was the end of it. And, you know, I'm sure it doesn't have any major impact on her life, but it is nice to be a, a human who's understanding and encouraging in those moments.
1: I love it. That's awesome. So um, you respond to each of those. When do you when do you give them more than the write-off? When do you, when do you say, sure, I'm actually interested in this? I'm intrigued.
0: Um, so I I do that when I think it could turn into an opportunity that I would be excited about. So as a software engineer, and maybe you get this as well, but I get tons of hits on LinkedIn from companies that I have no interest in working for. But if I get a hit from a company or a project that I actually think has some potential where it may be more interesting or better compensation, better impact, that's when I express more excitement towards them. And I try and follow up more and I try and really lean into it. So for me, it's it's mostly been about the company that's reaching out and knowing the kind of culture they have and what they do that actually triggers me to express more interest and try and turn it into something rather than just giving it kind of a pass off.
1: This probably dies more into a previous conversation about big company or small company, but uh, do you ever go digging on a company? Do you ever go like, is it just name recognition purely like Facebook's, Google's, Amazon's, you know, uh, Samsung's or, you know, GE? Is it mainly like the big names that you recognize or if it's like a small company I heard of where you go like check Glassdoor or do some Glassdoor? not really great research, but we go try to do some digging on them or, you know,
0: not usually really, really early on in my career. I did. Um, okay. and I, so the, so for a while now I've worked at companies where I about know what to expect because they're large mm-hmm. and it's a pre, you know, they're big name companies. They're, it's pretty easy to predict about what you're going to get. And everybody's going to have a different experience as they move through that big culture. Find the previous podcast. If you're interested in that conversation, but Man, we uh, actually talked enough time on the
1: podcast to say that yeah. <laughs> it's a
0: wonderful <laughs> keep moment. Going, keep going. Um, But really early on in my career, I did a ton of background research. And um, because I was working more at local places, I found people who knew people who worked there. I found people who had previously worked there and asked them questions. And um, knowing that I don't, I try not to leave companies quickly. And I try to have some tenure at places that I go, even with the two to four years ratio that I've got. I really wanted to make sure that those decisions were something I could be comfortable with. And then mm-hmm. at every time I've made a career change, I've had at least two options. So I've been very blessed in that way or very fortunate in that way. And so every time I've made a career change, I've wanted to make sure that I'm picking the the best thing possible and that I'm eliminating possibilities that would be really detrimental to my career, or my mental health, or my personal life.
1: Yep. And just speaking from knowing your background, it's crazy that sometimes those options are two options and one is staying at the one you currently have for a better offer or, or, or just for additional reasons than just, eh, I don't like the new offer. So I, again, um, we'll get probably more into that here in a bit. So have you noticed any correlation between when you are mentally kind of getting toward or emotionally getting towards your end at a company and then when new opportunities start sounding more exciting or, uh, have you ever been totally 100% content where you're at? And then we're surprised that, like, yeah, I'll talk and, and been surprised by something.
0: It's always the first one. It's always, um, you know, like I, I am, am feeling some need for change or it's starting to be clear to me that what I'm doing may not be a good long term fit. And then I start kind of exploring what my options are. But that's something I try to be very diligent about is not jumping because the grass is greener. And so just for my own personal stability, I always make sure that I see a path to a positive working environment in my current situation, whether it's talking to my manager or setting clear boundaries or changing roles or changing teams inside of the company. I always want to know that I could make what I'm doing today work before I jump to something else. And so, you know, on the one hand, that leads to staying sometimes at a job when maybe it would have been better to move on. Um, But at the same time, I think it's the right way to go so that I feel that I could keep doing what I'm doing if I needed to, if this other opportunity hadn't come along.
1: And I think that's, that's where I think I'm trying to mature in my thinking is because I'm, I can be very decisive and it's it's what makes me good at what I do in a lot of ways. Uh, But sometimes I can be too decisive. Like, I don't like this. I'm ready for a change. I need a change. And so I'm struggling with this. And I'm curious about what else is out there. Very quickly turns into my only option in front of me is to go find something else. Cause I've, I, I've kind of talked myself out of being content, staying where I'm at. Yeah, um, And so that idea of, wait a minute, there's still gratitude here. This is still a company that is paying me a salary. This is still a company that gave me a, um, uh, gave me an opportunity. And I've always learned something at every company I've ever been at. It's still a job that I'm thankful to have. It, it's still something that's providing, that God is providing for us um, through this company. There's still people here I care about and that I can still um, be a help. Like trying to, even when, even when it's rough and, and don't get me wrong, like I don't want to sugarcoat things when they're rough, but there's always still something to be grateful for and to try to, understand that there's a way forward to stay where you're at um so i I think that's something that you and i have talked through, and it's helped quite a bit for me
0: and you might have said it a little bit ago but your sequence is decision to leave find a new thing right where by the time you're engaged with the new opportunities or at least it has been for the most of your career you know, you're leaving by the time you engage with a new opportunity.
1: And, and that's what this, and that's why, I've, that's why when we started this whole conversation, I said, I think mine is changing to be more like yours, but yeah, usually by the time I'm deciding to go look for a job, it's because I'm, I'm pretty committed to being done where I'm currently. At. Okay. And that's probably, I don't know if that's necessarily all the wrong, so I wouldn't flip it so far as maybe quite as far as where you're at. Uh, Cause there are just times, when you know, something has ran its course. Um, but I guess it's more of a mindset of even if it takes longer to find the new thing, or even if I do end up being here longer than I thought and that ends up being a long time, like it's more of living in a state of gratitude uh, and and humility and, um, and trust, I guess um, than it is of I need to do this thing. Otherwise I'm going to have a meltdown. Like, cause as soon as you kind of put yourself in that, like you put yourself in that box, I guess to some degree or another, like as soon as you've like, I make a decision to leave, I'm not gonna be happy until I leave. Like, there's no external pressure making you make that internal declaration, like maybe mm-hmm. internal pressure to want to push you to take new, to look at new opportunities. But as soon as you make it an ultimatum, you, you kind of did that to yourself. Unless yeah. again, let's, let's take off layoffs. Let's take off job, job discontinuations. Let's take off all of those kind of things. But when you're making the personal change, like it is a decision and it's a decision that you are controlling um, to some degree or another. So you can have a better mindset
0: about it. So then how do you keep from, jumping at the first possibility. So if you know you want out, mm. do you, or do you just take the first, like you've done enough research that when you engage, you know you would, you would want to work at that company. But how do you prevent yourself from jumping at the first thing that comes along? Because I've never,
1: even despite having that kind of decision of I am ready for something new, even kind of having that hard line that I've historically had, I'm still very intentional. I've never shotgun applications. I've, I've never applied to more than two places at a time. I've never had more than two applications in the works or resumes out there in the works at a time. I, um, so despite making that decision and despite wanting to happen, usually quicker rather than longer. Um, it, it's not something where it's like, I want out of here. Let me blast 20 resumes out there to 20 different places and take the first one. It's usually I'm looking for something different than what I have currently. This is what I'm looking for here. are The two or three things that look like they could fit that check those out. Did those play out? Okay, we'll hit the next two or three, because I'm still being very selective about where I think I want to land, um, despite having kind of already made the decision that I'm ready to land somewhere else. Yeah. And so you this... experience that. you've experienced that. You've helped me job search before, and you've been like, dude, here's like five, like, go apply. I'm like, dude, dude, like, dude, like, I, I, I appreciate that. And I, but for me and my sanity, like, I don't want five offers. <laughs> like I don't want to have to weigh that. Like maybe that's cowardice. And maybe that's not, that's maybe not the the smartest thing to do uh, when, you're, when you're trying to like drum up competition. But um, like, I'm usually pretty intentional about like, this is what I'm wanting to secure um, in the end goal. So it, it makes it easy to narrow it down. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. And it explains or it's, it's explained well by another attribute of our personalities. I don't know if this has come up on the podcast or not, but I see risk as binary. It's on or off. It is a risk or it is not a risk. It's safe or it's not. And John, you're much better at seeing risk as a gradient and as a, as a continuum. And so what I'm hearing is you make a confident decision about being ready to leave a company, but it's more nuanced than saying, I'm getting out as soon as possible. You're, yes. you're making a decision. You're making a confident decision about the trajectory you see, not about the current point on that trajectory.
1: Yes. I think that's got a fair it. way of saying okay. it. That's actually a pretty good way about a pretty good way of saying it. Um, Yeah, I had another thought there, but I lost it. But yeah, in general, it, it's just I, I have a very clear idea of what I'm trying to achieve when I made I made the decision to leave. Yeah, um, like I like most recently, like I got a taste for product. I love product. I kind of got situationally forced into looking for new things uh, or I say, I don't want to talk that way. I situationally, I chose to say, I don't want to be in this situation and I want something different. I took it back to a business analyst role, which I do very well. Um, but I miss product. And so when I made this last change, I very intentionally said, I no longer want to be in this business analyst or delivery role that I was in. I would like to have a little bit more control over direction and roadmap and what we're building. I would like love to get back to a product role. Um, and so at that point, it's what company has product roles open on products that I would be interested in working at. And that was easy to find a short list, you yep. know, to start with. So
0: mm-hmm. that's actually kind of nice where you've got like a pretty targeted goal that you're marching towards and the, the trajectory part of it, where you're saying my current position is not moving where I want it to. And you know that before it's awful <laughs> or it's not, not that any job is ever awful, but you know it, you know, it pretty early yep. on probably lets you be more selective where
1: it does makes rejection a lot harder though too i've i've only uh, again i i I feel like i'm a pretty qualified candidate usually i'm usually not overreaching i'm not going for a senior role when i really am only in mid-level i've always been i actually have a bad habit of of finding myself in more of a junior role and having to get a quick promotion when i get to a new place because I, i undersold myself so um but that that same kind of mentality usually lets me get into these new roles um, more quickly and, and go mm-hmm. through that interview process a little bit more openly and honestly. Um, but yeah, it's usually I know pretty, pretty specifically what I'm looking for, but it makes rejection harder. And I've, mm-hmm. I've had that happen a couple times now. Um, man, I didn't have to happen for the longest time. I got every role I ever applied for when I was like, yep, I want that role. That's where I want to go work. Um, I, I interviewed well enough and my resume was well. And again, I wasn't overreaching to where it was usually a pretty straightforward like, yeah, this guy would be a fit. Um, but late uh, the last round, I had one rejection for sure. That was just like, man, I, I really saw myself in that role and that rejection was hard. So when you are more targeted, it does make the, mm-hmm. what did I do wrong <laughs> yep. uh, mentality come in a little bit. The only other thing I'll say about risk is as of right now, we're both in high demand positions. And so for me, I take that risk that, that definitely affects my risk score. So when I do take that targeted approach of. Um, this is what I'm looking for. I'm not afraid of it not working out. Like mm-hmm. again, we, we already kind of talked about at the beginning of like we've been in different jobs for five years now. You know, 10 sorry, with 10 years, we've been in five different jobs. Let me try to specify what I'm saying here. That's pretty quick. So worst case scenario, I get into a I get into a situation, I learn something, I grow something. It's probably gonna take me six months anyway, six months to a year to figure out wait a minute, is this just growing pains and coming up to speed, or is this really a culture that I can't operate within or a job that I'm not enjoying? I mean, that's gonna take six months to a year alone. And then maybe another six months to try different things and figure it out. So, I mean, before you know it, you've already been in a place two years. And you're most likely, as soon as you start looking, you'll be able to find another job within six months. I feel like right now with the demand for our roles. What changes that is, again, these are opinions. We'll, we'll just say it again. These are opinions. I do feel like the job market's going to shift, at least for my roles. I think engineers are going to be in high demand for quite some time. I do feel like product owner roles when we're getting into a market to where it is going to be a little bit more. Um, conservative, probably a little bit less growth focus, a little bit more stability focus, uh, maybe less need for what's the next new thing we're going to go build and what's the cool features on a roadmap and more, how do we kind of work on um, stabilizing? I I do feel like my role gets a little bit more risky and there's a little less of a comfort level of I'll just be able to find something in three to six months. So that definitely does factor into it as well.
0: Yeah. And that, um, I, I don't know how deeply we want to get into that aspect of it, but I have chosen some roles based on the variety that it puts on my resume. Where, you know, if it's it it's good in my opinion to hop around so that if you are in an environment where your base skill set is a little bit less interesting, you've at least got applicable experience in a variety of things that can make it easier to explore other opportunities and easier to connect something that a new company would want to activity that you've done before. So I love switching um, domains. I yeah. love
1: switching domains and I know there's pros and cons to it. And there's some people that are just, this is what I do and this is where I love. Um, and whether it be a technology stack, whether it be a certain kind of product, like I'm a financial soft, I'm into financial software, I'm into travel software, I'm into healthcare software, I'm into um, uh, warehousing software. Like there, there's definitely like, you can lock yourself in both technology and domain. I'd love that my resume shows, hey, I can go from regulated industry to unregulated industry. I can go from big to small. Like the the skill set is not what is your company's size or product? It is, we are trying to deliver products and that's what I can come in and do. Now, I'm leaning more, now that I'm a little further in my, my career, I, I do put more emphasis on what that product is than maybe I used to. I love working on a product that I'm excited about, but having a resume that shows I can execute um, regardless of domain is, I, I enjoy that. I, I, I do think that a, is a valuable trait. Not everybody's looking for it, but the people that do look for it, I do think it stands out.
0: Uh, so you were asking a minute ago when when do I start trigger looking or like when do I get excited? Yeah. And the other th- thing about switching domains is I find myself interested in new maybe positions inside of a company even, but switching like roles or focuses or domains as soon as I know the answer to three or four questions in a row. So if somebody asks me three or four questions in a row about what I do and I know the answer off the top of my head, like, NAS is boring now. (laughs) I don't want to do this. I love the puzzle.
1: I love the puzzle. Unfortunately, it creates a little bit of instability because you always figure out puzzles in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And my my definition of figuring out a puzzle is figuring out, you know, the box level. A talks Mm -hmm. to B, talks to C to produce D. And that can be a very complicated A, B, D. But once I've figured out A, B, C, D, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, once it's no longer confusing... I'm kind of ready for something new. I don't need to be an yep. expert in ABCD, but once yeah. I understand how it works and I get the gist, I'm, I'm kind of ready for the next, next, uh, next job. Okay. It so definitely, spend, I'll, Oh, go ahead. Finish l- the thought.
0: I'll last comment. And we can jump to the next one or the next question about this, but uh, it definitely changes how I pitch myself to hiring managers. Cause if I'm moving in a domain that I'm comfortable in, I can say, yep, Um, Like I'm a SaaS guy and you're building a SaaS thing and I know how to do that. (laughs) And so like your product, your, your product area, your business area, I'm going to have to learn, but I, I am SaaS oriented. I can do that. And then if I'm talking to a hiring manager in a domain and a tech stack that I've never touched before, I feel the need to be upfront about it and be like, and tell them, look, I'm, I'm very excited to learn your domain and what you do is fascinating to me, but you are getting an eager learner not an experienced senior engineer here so i just feel i need to be upfront about yeah. what they're getting when i'm doing that switch
1: i think you're getting to a level though to where if you've been a senior engineer on one thing especially at the quality of companies you've been at if you've been a senior engineer that that comes with a level of i know how to code and, mm-hmm. and you're like i may not know your system i may not know the exact code base or language that you're typing in but i know the framework and the architect of how data flows from a to b to achieve c like that I read Javadocs really awesome. fast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So even if it's like, hey, I'm not an expert in your code base or your domain, I think you, you can speak past that or your resume speaks to that on its own pretty well. Okay, but maybe we should flip because we're about halfway through um, our podcast and it's like, when do we start looking? So you started looking, yep. you got the interview, it went well, um, you've gone through that whole process, you get an offer. When do you... Me again, I've already kind of determined I'm leaving. So if it's at all decent, I'm, I'm jumping, but I'll get into more of my detail later. Let me ask you first, how do you kind of start to evaluate of how do I take the new offer versus what I currently have? Or in your position, you've always had a couple of options. You've always had competing options. How have mm-hmm. you made the
0: choice? So I, and like you said, I've, I've been very fortunate in that every time I've made a job change, I've had at least two options and one time that was two companies that I was interviewing with and were interested in making offers. Um, another time, and then the rest of the times, it's always been either taking the new offer or a counter offer. And so, in the a counter when, offer at your current job, counter offer at current job, yeah. And so, uh, counter offers are tough. And I have read a lot of advice on them that it's bad and you should never even consider them. And you know, it's it's not good. And I think it's, that's a little bit of a broad brush to paint with in my mind, where I, if I take a job and I am there, it's because I respect and I enjoy the product and the space and the company culture that I'm working with. So it, to me, it would feel arrogant to write off any kind of counter discussion that they want to have. And so I, I always respect the people that I'm working with and for enough that I would, I would have that conversation to say, I've got a new thing on the table here's my motivation for taking it. And uh, I, this is my plan. If you want a counter offer, I'm open to talking it through. But at this point, this is my my plan to do this. And so it's it's delicate, you never want to mislead a company or, you know, give them the wrong impression that a counter offer is like a slam dunk, or it's just about money or anything like that. But I always want to at least be open to having a conversation if the company that I'm working for initiates.
1: The one time you accepted the counter offer, did you regret
0: it? I did not. Um, Okay. So I, I, even though it only
1: lasted another year or two years, maybe. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think of what all I can say about that without giving away too much about the situation. But, um, you know, for the podcast, John and I, this is a company we both worked for, so that will give away plenty of detail right there. But um, I, uh, I was in a rough spot. I was working a lot of nights. Um, You know, I didn't see an end to it. And another group reached out and was very interested in my specific skill set. But it was going to be a pretty lateral move. And so okay. for the effort of changing jobs, it had a ton of potential. It was a high growth role. They were looking to build out a department and a center of excellence around the job they wanted to offer me. But that was years away. And so in the moment, I took a counter offer with concrete plans to alter the role that I was in in writing. Um, and I stand by that. I think it was the right thing to do at the time because for all the effort for a lateral move, I think I got more experience and better learning by staying where I was than by making the jump at that time.
1: makes sense. makes sense. I think that's fair. And it's not necessarily saying, man, the one that came around two years later was so much better. And I'm, I'm glad I landed here. It's, it's really just looking at that situation within the, the environment that it was in and saying, even just within that, even just knowing the facts that you had at that time, it was, mm-hmm. it was the right move. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. I just, I probably am one of the ones that said, dude, why are you even listening to the counteroffer? <laughs> like I, I actually know in that situation, I was the guy, one of the guys saying that, and I've read a lot of the same things of just, man, at that point, you're, you're already, you're already showing interest somewhere else. There's, there's already something that's driving you to want to move somewhere else
0: and and, yep. and
1: look for something else.
0: The other the other caveat I'll throw in there that I think makes that situation an exception, because I, I agree, in general, counteroffers are pretty touchy, but I had the highest respect for the management chain that I was under at the time. And the time. they operated with some of the highest integrity I've encountered in the workplace. So then when they sat down and they said, hey, look, we're going to put together a plan and we will write down the steps we're going to take to alter the culture and the situation that this team is in. Um, I bought it and they, they were taking it seriously and they really followed through. So I I completely agree with, or I don't agree, but I acknowledge a lot of the advice on the internet is right. Counteroffers are touchy, but I think there are some exceptions to the rule.
1: No. And that makes sense. And again, knowing that company and where we're at, like, there was a unique culture there, and there were at that time there were some there were some people that you did want to you wanted to be loyal to, and, and, and there was reason to be loyal to them. Mm-hmm. And when those people that you have that respect for are willing to say, "Here's our plan to to make this better," we would like you to stay. Like that does show value in you, and that's very different than oh, you got a twenty percent uh, offer to go work somewhere else. Well, we'll match your twenty percent. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a very cold you know, kind of counteroffer. And that's maybe not the context yep. most of them have. And I have not been in this situation, so I should be very careful, careful about talking to a counteroffer. Um, but it, it just feels like a lot of times, man, people I respect and manage, I respect oftentimes just feel like it's always about the money. And it's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of times that's not the core issue. Don't get me wrong. Like it's it's hard to turn down logical things that change your quality of life to a certain degree, or at least your your um, your quality of finances um, like that's not a non factor, but usually that's not the main reason people are looking for something else.
0: Yeah. And so, so um, I I know that you've been in highly desired roles and you've been critical in a number of roles. Have you ever had to, or have you ever gone through that, the counteroffer process, or do you always communicate your resignation with a ton of finality and you're just done?
1: I was asked one time if I'd be interested in the counteroffer, but I knew for a fact that the counteroffer wasn't going to be where I needed to be because it was one that was both culturally an issue to where I was, I was struggling with the new culture. Um, This was after a, a merger that was very rough um, and the culture was drastically changing and not in the direction that looked good um, for me at the time. Although I know people that are still working there that, that have kind of rode the wave and it sounds like it's, it's, it's doing good. So I mean, kudos for that, but I wasn't ready to do that and simultaneously i probably got the biggest bump out of that that i ever did so again there was an economic factor like there it was it was a drastic increase of value for my um, for my role w- when i switched so um again not not going to talk dollars and cents but i think we were in the range of like 35 40% increase over what i was what i was making and i just know there's no way that counter offer was going to come anywhere near to that because i was had already been told that i was being overpaid for my role um, at that company. So, <laughs> which is yeah, something you want to yep. hear anyways, <laughs> which again, I mean, speaks to culture and issues and things like that. So, uh, so no, yeah. the, the one time that I was asked, would I be interested in the counter offer? I did kind of put the, I put the nail on the coffin pretty quick, just knowing that there wasn't going to be a conversation there.
0: Um, and the any, other times I, any regrets I there, I think do you feel like it, no. do you feel like it had any kind of negative impact on relationships or long-term bridges or anything, or you no, stand by that too? Not at all.
1: Not, not, not at all. Because you can do that with respect. It's not, forget you guys. I'm done. I made this decision. There's tons of reasons why I made this decision. It's just like it was just a very honest. Like I'm ready for a change. It was a significant increase in pay. Um, I, I'm, I'm not interested in a counteroffer. Um, and the other one was a role switch. So the last time, so I guess I was asked both times. I've just never, I, I have shut it down both times. I didn't, I didn't really mm-hmm. think about it. The last one, because it's both of them are so final that I never really considered it a counter offer. The mm-hmm. last one I was asked by my managers, like she, uh, she said, you know, is there, it, it, is it worthwhile for us to go down and see what we can do and counter offer? And I, and this was the position change. So this is when I was trying to get out of delivery and wanting to go back to a product position. And there was no way you're going to keep me in delivery position at that point. Um, Even monetarily, I wasn't going to be interested. Um, I had just been rated extremely high. Year-end reviews had just come out, and I had been rated higher than I'd ever been rated at work before. Um, They did a... a they had just started a new ranking that wasn't your, and it wasn't just your annual ranking. It's big corporate corporations. So you can imagine the ranking, how the rankings go like 5% are ones and you know, 10% are twos and 50% are threes. And like, you know, it's just that standard kind of cold ranking. So I got ranked high on that, but they also had a different ranking system, uh, system they had just come out with of, who next to promote into uh, leadership positions, like who next to put into management. Yep. And I was one of the few that got ranked as ready for management or should be moved into the next management mm-hmm. opportunity to start growing in management. That was the one that I felt like, mm, that, that mm-hmm. almost made me stick around because I would love to break into people management at some point. I'd love to, to learn and grow that skill. Um, and that's what I felt like I left on the table the most, but knowing that that was still, not going to be on roles and teams that I was excited about. I, I also said that one of like, I'm ready to be back in product. I want to be back mm-hmm. in product. I feel like my career path is in product. So I turned, I, I said, I would probably not be interested in the counter offer. Yeah. That's maybe one. I mean, looking back, of 2020, um, I'm still very happy in my current role. I'm still growing in my current role. Um, I'm still loving product and there's lots of opportunity. Um, there may come a time to where if it takes me another three years, five years to break into people management, that I might go, hmm, there, there was something there. <laughs> yep. um, but by and large, I guess I, I've i been the one to shut down the question both times before I even really heard out a counteroffer.
0: And I don't regret it. I don't think I regret it. How much stress do you feel turning in your resignation two weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, and then starting a new job? Is that is that week, three-week period, whatever, stressful to you, or does it not feel that bad? Yes. Okay.
1: Um, I stress out. I'm a people pleaser, uh, recovering people pleaser, I think is the buzzword that people are using today. Um, but in all honesty, like I hate the idea of walking out the door and the very next week, cuss someone cussing my name because I left them high and dry or I left them not transitioned well, or, um, something was wrong in the way that I left it to where somebody else Mm -hmm. couldn't come in and pick it up. Like there's always going to be transition. It's always gonna be hard trying to fill been in the position to try to fill for somebody else that left. Like there's no way to do it perfectly. Um, I read the idea of leaving my current teams high mm-hmm. and dry, no matter how ready I'm to get out the door. I, I hate the idea that someone would be disappointed with the state that I left them in when they try to take over.
0: Yeah. So I feel stress when I turn in my resignation, but I think it's a different source because um, I got, you know, the, the, the career advice, maybe I've said this already in the podcast, but some of the career advice that I got was the most hu- that was the most humbling, but also most impactful was that everybody is replaceable. So no matter how talented you are, no matter how much domain knowledge you've got, no matter how many, you know, how much the history of the tech stack you have, they can hire another engineer who can read the same docs, who can read the code and go fix what you left. And so I don't feel as much stress from leaving my team, even though I do feel that sometimes. And don't get me wrong, I... I don't like leaving people and dumping work on them and knowing that they're going to have to pick up the slack, but I almost feel more stress. The source of my stress is usually, or the dominant source of my stress is usually the offer counter offer, offer sequence. And so maybe that's a a personal learning that I'm going to take away from this episode of the podcast is stop doing that.
1: (laughs) Well, but that's also why yes and no, I, I think there's, I think there's legitimate reasons for that because Especially, I feel like engineers have a little bit different take on this. If I leave things high and dry, it's due to a communication error or a, um, a lack of documentation or a lack of connecting the dots for somebody when I'm out. Um, it, it's more it's procedural. I feel like the kind of knowledge, like as an engineer, there's no way you're going to dump all your knowledge. Like at some point in time, someone's going to have to go back and dig through the code base to learn what you once knew. And there's no easy way to do that. That's just going to have to be what somebody does. And so even for you, when an engineer leaves, there's evidence left behind that someone can come back and decipher and figure out and and work their way through. Now, it's going to be a whole lot easier when you like, dude, Brian could have came in here and he just knew where the body was buried and like alt F 12 and like, poof, it worked again. Like, (laughs) you know, versus someone that had to dig in that thing for three hours to figure out what needed to change. Like, don't get me wrong. It it hurts, but there's, there's a breadcrumb for, for, for engineers on the product side. Like if you don't communicate something like it legitimately just goes away and then you Mm -hmm. don't realize it until either one, the new person who took over just kind of discovers the gap and resolutions it or refills it. Um, or two, some dependable dependent dependency down the line uh, gets missed and then the gap is found. So it's mm-hmm. like, I just, I don't want to take away from the transition that engineer should go through and the domain knowledge that should be shared. But I do feel like engineers, there might be a little bit more breadcrumbs along the way than sometimes on a product space, but that could be, it might be an overgeneralization, but I, I think there might be some of that to that.
0: I think you're right because, and I'm thinking of people who have left teams that I have stayed on for longer and it's awful because they you know, especially when they're good, because they're writing code, mm-hmm. they're helping, but their code has, it's in the commit history, <laughs> you can go back, mm-hmm. and you can look at what they built and what they changed and what they touched and understand what they were contributing. And what you're bummed about is that they're not still there writing more good code. But when you lose a product yep. person, you can lose vision. And that's yes. a much harder thing to grok and replace. Vision in context. Yep vision and context. Um, There is, there is some context on the software side or on the, you know, the tech side, but I I agree. I think it's probably a harder thing to transfer in the product area than it is on the technology side.
1: But I mean, just to give history of this podcast, but this is also, I think what we're speaking to right now is also why I said we need to back up. Like when we first were going to do this podcast, we said that we were going to do like, how do you know when to take an offer? And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So much of what goes into whether you're going to take an offer or not is how do you decide when to even start looking? and so for. Me like the stress is how do I transition well because I've already decided I'm I'm most likely out the door and again I'm softening on that I I, I want to hold that more open hand I want to be more open to opportunities before I've decided that I'm going to leave I am in a more senior position now to where I do I have started to get some of those recruiting messages to where you know I'm perfectly happy where I'm at but maybe it is worth having the conversation like that's a new place for me to be and it's changing my perspective a little bit but in general since I've already made the decision that I'm most likely out the door. My focus is on how to do that well to where when you're still juggling like, am I taking this? Am I not? It's like, oh my goodness, I'm comparing these two things. How do I judge? How do I decide? How like, do I stay? Do I go? Like, that's the stressful part to you. And that just isn't usually even on the table for me because I already mm-hmm. know I'm going. If it's slightly better than a lateral move or at least better than what I could be doing here within the next year, I'm taking a chance on it. And if it's one of those ones that I've selectively chosen, mm-hmm. you know, again, not taking that shotgun approach. So I just feel like this conversation builds on itself. When did you start looking? How did you look? How did you decide to take the offer? You Mm -hmm. know, I think all of those are related and how you start the journey is going to impact how you take it. So your route, your stress is I have to make a decision now. And Mm -hmm. for me, that decision was already made to where as long as we're looking at a reasonable offer, um, which usually entails a bump or a promotion or at least a a a, a competitive offer, I'm I'm probably going to take it because I've been selective about
0: where I'm going. Yeah. And why that's the, that is the downside of making sure that I've got a tangible path to happy in my current spot, and you know depending on the role I've written it out sometimes. Where as I'm, you know when I've got a counter a, a new offer that's coming in and I'm debating whether or not I should take it and you know start the resignation process, I've written out what steps would I need to turn my current role into something that I'm more excited about again, or I see is more sustainable. And so I think that is, I still stand by that approach. I think it is good, but it definitely, it, it is. I like it. It does lead to a lot of stress as that offer comes in. Cause then I'm not deciding between something I don't want to do anymore and something that I want to do. I'm deciding between two things that I think are good. And that's, that's a great problem to have. but It is stressful.
1: How many people would benefit? How many companies would benefit if you, if people sat down and and not pie in the sky, like, I wish I got paid 20% more and I wish we got free, you know, we got off on Fridays all the time. And like, not, not unrealistic, but how many people have sat down and said, I would be more satisfied in my job if, Mm -hmm. And, and, and not just a list of demands, but how would I achieve that in my current job? How could I influence that? How could I make that happen in my current role? Like that's, I think it's an awesome assessment to do and not. And I think it's also challenging because you could probably make yourself pretty disgruntled because there's always things you can do and you'd want to see changed, um, you know, if we look at from the negative side. But if you are someone who takes ownership for your career and your attitude while you're at work, I think that could be a very healthy task, whether you're looking for a job or not. Like, man, I would almost want to schedule that on a calendar and just do it every six months regardless, every year, regardless.
0: Yeah. And it do you have a calendar invite? (laughs) i <laughs> can't a <to> reminder <laughs> yeah. not for that one but i do try and do it regularly where i write down and it, i i never make it strategic it's always tactical because mm-hmm. if it's strategic it's things it would turn into things like i wish By i got sky. more credit or i wish i got yep. i had more influence okay well, great what can i do what can be yeah. done yep what meetings what can what i do on or what do I can do i influence to, set up? to be done right yep to make this happen Interesting. and in the like next it. like two two weeks to three months um And so, you know, again, it does it does help a lot, and it makes me more content at times when I've chosen to stay. But on the downside, Mm -hmm. it does, like I said, it does lead to when I am evaluating an offer, I am choosing between two things that I genuinely believe I could stick with. And so, then Mm -hmm. it's it's a good problem to have, and it's a first world problem to have to complain about having two good offers that you think you could make it make work. Um, But it does lead to a lot of stress when you are trying to choose. Not just a good thing, but the best thing.
1: Yep. Okay. I don't want to minimize the finance, but I also kind of want to breeze through it. So obviously when you're when you're weighing offers, economics is part of it. And mm-hmm. not that it always has to be an egregious bump, but do you always expect a bump? Would you ever take a lateral? Are there times when you have taken a lateral
0: um, financially? I have never taken a lateral. I have been prepared to. And so, again, I, I have been, been very fortunate in this area where every time I've gotten an offer, uh, it's either I've either had two competing offers or I've gotten a counter offer and then gone through the offer counter offer original or new company is bumping their offer again. So, I've always gotten a pretty significant bump changing jobs. And, um, you know it's it's not always the right thing to do like you don't want to push people to change jobs unnecessarily but it can be a good way to bump your salary is if you're willing to get out and negotiate and sometimes you can get a bigger bump changing roles or positions or companies than you can just in a regular so have yep. you um have you evaluated like more lateral or or a slight incline
1: um i this last one was more lateral for me um and it was actually even a little bit of a reduction in base salary, but a significant increase in um, pretty dependable bonus structure. Um, So, but I would say this last one was the first one I did a lateral, but again, it was a slight role change. um, And it was a situation of, I I really was excited about where I was going. Um, And there was a lot of, there was a fairly good, I talked to people who work where I'm currently at, trying uh, that were on the career path that I'm at, and there was a track record for quick movement. Uh, there was a track record for if I came in, I showed that I could do the job and work up. I, I could I could make it not a lateral within within a year, uh, yeah. and that's proven to be true so far. And that and that still looks like it's going to be true for me. So, uh, but that was the one time I took a lateral. That was at least an initial lateral um, with promise of future benefit. Um, that's yeah. a little risky, uh, but that was again a little bit of a role change, and I was I was willing to concede it because while I have, you know, now ten plus years in software delivery. Product does add a special twist to that. It does add a little bit more of the vision and the road mapping and the why are we building what we're building and KPIs and metrics and measuring against those things. Like that's a skill set. That, that is a skill set beyond just go deliver the thing that you're required to deliver on schedule. Um, and I got a great taste of it for two and a half years, but it's not like I have 10 years experience doing that um, mm-hmm. like I do in just
0: general software delivery. So I was willing to take a lateral to, to get back into a product role. Yeah. Um, do you... Do you lead with numbers when you're negotiating? Like, do you say a salary expectation first or do you try and make the company? I did.
1: And this was, again, was the first time that they came back and said, yes, but in this form, Um, it wasn't the form Mm. I was asking. My overall um, compensation was what I was asking for for base salary um, in this role. So it was a little bit of a one that I was a little bit surprised by it, too. I I was a little bit surprised um, by the latter on this last one. Um, but again, it was worth it to me, um, and I think it does go back to. I, I feel like I have some gaps in my interviewing to where I definitely downgrade my my experiences and my my value because I hate talking myself up. Um, but I am good at what I do, and every time I get in, it doesn't take long to show that I'm good at what I do. So, and I also have confidence in that, and so that's why I was also willing to take the lateral. Mm-hmm um but yeah so i usually have an idea of where i want to be i know what it would take me to move and i'm definitely not going to take a pay um reduction at this point in time especially in this um economy and where it's at and like the way the salaries have gone up over the last 5 years even 3 years it's been it's been nuts so um this last one i definitely um was was the the most flat i've ever taken i think mm-hmm.
0: so, which is a little and bit I, counterintuitive i've flip-flopped so Uh, at one job change or the, like a couple of job changes, I have not set a number at all and just waited Mm -hmm. to see what offer I get. And I've gotten, and I, I am a, I am a terrible negotiator. And if I was a better negotiator and I was more willing to be a little bit more aggressive, I think I could probably make more money than I do, but I just don't want to be that. And maybe that sounds naive and maybe that really is a wrong way to approach life, but I, I don't know. I am okay with negotiating kind of poorly.
1: And I feel like, I'll be honest, I think you may be making a little bit of assumption there. I, I don't know if you would negotiate if you would be drastically paid more, maybe a little bit more. Maybe they're reserving a little bit in their back pocket. But the, I think the kind of companies that you work for um, are pretty serious about taking care of their employees or at least putting forth a, a good offer on paper. I don't think anybody there is trying to nickel and dime. Um, to, to try to save money on their staff. I mean, everybody's trying to be smart and not overpay. Um, but I don't think, I, I don't know. Maybe other people have done it successfully, but at least I think if a company is worth working for, they, they should have some integrity in that initial offer. Like yep. if, if a company is going to kind of come in and undercut um, and then you had to play hardball of like, well, I'm not interested. And you have to wait for them. Wait, 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 we want you. And here's another, here's another 30. Like, man, if a company's <laughs> doing yeah, that, out are you the gate, what that's are you a doing? red flag. That's a little bit yeah. of a red flag for me. Of like, do I want to work at a company that's going to nickel and dime me like that? Cause what happens when it comes to raises and when it comes to, mm-hmm. um, because I hate that I, you made the point, And especially in our industry and in software industry, like. You can get a better bump from going and working somewhere else. A lot of times, your biggest bumps come when you go find uh, a new job. I hate that. Like, I wish the industry was companies were more forthright in internal raises and um and bonuses. And so, if a company is already making you nickel and dime for your initial salary, like they're going to do it even more when it comes to bonuses and raises. And that's already tough in our in our industry right now. So,
0: yep, well said. I think yeah. we're coming up on time. So, any go ahead.
1: I was going to ask you anything else. We, we talked a little about financial. We talked a lot about culture and whatnot. Uh, I guess we haven't talked about culture, but like what else? Uh, not to serve it up and say culture, Talking about culture, but what else besides, besides monetary, are you kind of taking into account when you're, when you're doing this evaluation and weighing it? Is it, is it purely financial because you're a very practical person or has all the other, do I want to work for this company type questions already been answered? So it doesn't really factor in. Are there any last minute considerations that you're, that you're taking into account when you're, when you're looking at that offer?
0: So PTO. The- no, nah, I, I never really am too concerned about PTO. That's always been, or at least, again, I've been very fortunate. The places I work, I've always gotten a pretty reasonable PTO allowance. Um, the, the caliber companies I've been at for a few years now are large enough that they do what's called a team match before you actually get an offer before you transition. So you talk to two or three teams that you might want to work with, and you get to evaluate their project and their charter and understand if it's good culture fit they do the same with you and then you get an offer from there. So those I take very seriously and they typically happen before you get the final offer with the, with the the numbers on it. So I think uh, that to me is a, a big part of making sure that you're in the right space, at least at the, when you have that opportunity to evaluate teams, to talk to the manager, talk about the project, talk about the tech stack, talk about their success metrics, talk about their way of evaluating progress and all that to make sure that you're doing something that you think is interesting.
1: So again, that's I think you're and that's kind of what I was hitting at. I think a lot of that outside economic considerations is usually already taken care of leading up to the offer itself, the tangible offer of, here's what we're willing to offer. you like, is this company going to be a good fit? Is this team going to be a good fit? Am I ready to leave to some degree or another? Mm -hmm. Like, would I take this job if I was offered a decent offer? Like a lot of that evaluation is already taken in. So we didn't, and that wasn't really the point of the podcast today, because I think there could be a whole nother conversation of how do you evaluate a company, not just an offer, um, or how do you determine if you want to work at a company, but that makes sense. The one that we didn't talk about that I am still curious about. We, we talked a lot about new offer and current company and counter offer. You got two new offers into a bidding war at one point, And I was stressed out for you. Like that one, that one surprised me. Like I don't mind going back and like having the counter offer discussion. Like that one's tacky, not tacky. That's the wrong word. That one's okay. sticky. That one's that's, that one's tough enough. But yeah. man, when someone's like, yeah, here's your offer. Happy to have you. And you're like, Hey, I got this other offer that's actually a little bit better, but I kind of like your company I mean, when you guys yep. offered. And like, you got you got two companies anymore. Like that stressed me out. How did that go for
0: you? Uh, so that was actually easier for me than the counter offers. Really? And so, and, really, and, hey, I'm so trying much. to think about why. And it's with a counter offer, it's people that you know, it's okay. people that depend on you for deliverables. It's a manager who goes to you for explanations. It's a personal, personal thing to be like, nah, you didn't, this is not going to cut it. I'm leaving. Um, Where with the two offers there, I, for whatever reason, I was able to pitch it in a much more business like manner and it was still stressful. So don't get me wrong about that. It was still tough to be like, okay, I'm going to call you. And I'm going to hear your numbers. And then I got to call the other guy. <laughs> oh, but see, what, but
1: I think what it was is like, they were even good numbers. Like, again, we're not talking about numbers. But if I remember correctly, they, they, it was a bump. Like, like what mm-hmm. it was the company you wanted. It was the pay you wanted. It was already more of a bump than you're expecting. And it was like, oh, but this other company that I'm really not as serious about did offer me more money. Like, hey, what do you think? I was like, yeah, what?
0: Like, uh-huh. I was,
1: I was, <laughs> I was stressed, man. I'm like, man. Yep. But I think, you're, I, right. I think you, you're very business in that, and like, hey guys, I just have to ask. I have this other offer. I'd be remiss not to ask. Like, mm-hmm. I know how you process through that, but man, that, yeah. that one stressed me out.
0: And it the other part uh, that was tough was that the the company, and I I won't say who it was, but they were my plan B, yeah. uh, really shocked me in the interview where I was expecting okay. it to be just a. A joke of an operation. And I shouldn't even say that, but I wasn't expecting to get a whole lot from the interview. And instead it was comprehensive. They had great answers to all my questions about vision and success. Like it was a solid interview in both directions. And then the offer came in really good and it just caught me off guard to have to really weigh it. Um, which actually one other thing I'll say that I don't, you know, cause you're on the list, but, uh, every time I get a job offer, I have a list of three or four people that I call and I say, this is what's going on. I just want to hear your thoughts on it. And it's good in those super emotional moments where you might be getting an offer for more money that you're excited about. You might be doing a job change, which has a lot of personal impact. It's good to get perspective from sources who don't necessarily have a horse in the game, so to speak, or a horse in the race so that you can just get an outsider's opinion about what you're the decisions you're making. Mm Anything like, else? Any uh, other like takeaways or no, I just I didn't to want on? to
1: close the podcast without <laughs> talking about the one because of all the times <laughs> that you've called me on that list, that was the one that I think I was the one where you took the counteroffer back. I kind of got again, I we I make fun mm-hmm. of it a little bit now and poke at a little bit now, but I, I I I love that culture too. Like and I love that company and I loved who I was working with at the time. Um and there was a was a rough trajectory, but it wasn't where it was when we both decided we really were done there. Um, so I, I kind of understood that one and I can understand why you went through it. But that, that one where I knew you had a solid offer from a great company that you were excited about working with. You weren't really excited about the other one. And then all of a sudden you put the good one on notice saying, Hey, by the way, I just got it out. Of, I was, I, I remember for that one, I'm like, I think that's the first time I went, I think he's nuts. I think he's nuts. Like, <laughs> I usually think Brian is a very logical, sensible person, but I think he's nuts. <laughs> it worked out. And yeah. again, so that's why when you say you're a poor negotiator, it's like, I think you're, I don't think you push I, I I think you're very you're very much it's a it's b I'm trying to process through this. What can you guys do like I, I can't not address this. Can you guys help me work through this and I think you address it that way instead of a hardball negotiation, but I think the way in which you just put the facts on the table is almost the best negotiation, and I think you're very good at that so and I think it's
0: it's the only type of negotiation that I feel good about is. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to hold you over a barrel. There are no tricks here. These are just the facts and this is what I'm considering. And uh, if you want to come to the table with something different, I'm happy to talk about it. If not, this is the choice I'm going to make. Um, And so then one, one last bit about that, like double company thing was that it, I was, uh, I was very young at the time, (laughs) I'll say, and (laughs) I, I hard committed and I like clicked the accept offer button on the one that I thought I wanted. And then like minutes later, I got the call from the other company saying, hey, we're going to up our offer and we would really want you. And it was a significant bump. And then I had to go back to the group that I had just told, yes, I accept your offer to say, I'm so sorry. I did not expect this. This is catching me off guard and I need to consider this. And they, to their credit, they were super understanding about it. But there was a little bit of like, Dude, okay, now accepts. are you really accepting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, and valid. I think that was totally valid. So just as a learning from that, yeah. I always, I always tell them if I have a next step first, and I say like, okay, I can, y- yep, I am planning to accept, but I need to talk to the other recruiter, or I am planning to accept, but I need a day to think about it, or whatever it is. Yep.
1: All good. I'm good.
0: All right. No, I love this one. This is a great conversation.
1: Yeah. I'm glad we went through this one. Um, I think again, it touches on some other things we've already talked about, but, um, yeah. Job changes are very common in our field. So talking through talking through this one was good.
0: Yep. This has been Learnings from the Middle. Thanks for listening.